Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 110 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch, Dan Duggan. They were out in San Francisco covering the Giants this past Sunday. And guys, 110 episodes into this thing. And to this podcast, this this show that we do, which we've had so much fun doing over these years, covering different Giants teams and different situations. Uh, we're now facing one that I never expected this year uh, and one that is just it's so strange because the Giants haven't had this in a very long time. James rock bottom in a new way on Sunday. The Giants lose 31 21 to the Niners who were winless. The questions about Ben McAdoo continue. It feels like a dead team walking. The leadership put out a statement um, heading into this week saying, no, nah, we're not really going to do anything right now. Just give it some time. But it's an antsy fan base that hasn't seen this in probably four decades. <laughs> What the hell has happened? I mean, I was kind of thought I had in my head as I, as I flew back across the country. I mean, this—I mean, you said it was episode 110. We were sitting at Reds for episode 100 with Jonathan Casillas, one of the guys we were going to talk about. And, you know, they're talking about the Super Bowl and how much they love Ben McAdoo. And now, 10 episodes in the podcast later, eight, nine games later, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And there's still seven games left in this debacle. I mean, I just like bad seasons happen. Teams disappoint. But what has happened here is like the twilight zone. I mean, the fact they lost, not only they lose the Niners, they got embarrassed by the Niners again, second week in a row. I'll say it if the head coach won't. It's just this is like supernatural how, how bad this has become. It has. It's, it's become as bad as any team in the NFL. I mean, the, outside the Browns, who are their own disaster, the Giants are the next biggest disaster in the NFL. Dan, Sunday in particular, but really the whole season, th- there was a lot of questions, I think, about effort. I mean, they gave up almost 500 yards on defense to a Niners team that couldn't move the ball a few weeks ago, that, that looked like the worst offense in the league, and they moved the ball at will. The Giants got blown out by a team that hadn't been up by more than a score all season long. I mean, James just said it. How did this happen? Right. And it's not even, it's one of these deals where you can't even look at the final score. They didn't lose 31, 21. They were down 31 to 13. They were losing by 18 points to this sorry team. I mean, it's, it's incomprehensible. Um, you know, and, and the thing is for a long time there, I mean, even last year, 
Yeah, I was obviously the one who always banged the drum that the offense wasn't good enough, the offense wasn't good enough, and the defense carried them. Even into the start of this season, you could kind of make that case. It's the defense the last, you know, at least two weeks, and maybe going back a little further if you want to talk about some of the discipline, some of the cracks in the foundation that showed up a little earlier, uh, especially in that secondary. But this defense is disgraceful right now. I mean, the offense at least has the excuse uh, for a while, you know, everybody was hurt, but now still, I mean, what do you expect from them? Odell's out, the offensive line is what it is. Uh, but you're at least seeing guys like Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram and Orleans Darkwa, you know, fighting and making some of the season. Even even the offensive line has been better. I mean, there's you know, Eric Flowers. We haven't been saying his name every week anymore. DJ Fluker was, you know, hobbling on one leg. Um, you know, Brett Jones is probably earning himself some money. So there's there's actually some positives on an offense that still hasn't scored, you know, 25 points in however long it's been. So I'm not going to go overboard with that. Uh, it's sad that we're talking about a team that Super Bowl aspirations, and now we're left to just evaluate effort. I mean, effort should be – you're collecting a paycheck, as Ben McAdoo said. Uh, and we maybe get to that comment, too, though. Again, he kind of passed the buck to the players. Um, but you're collecting a paycheck as an NFL player. Effort is the bare minimum. Uh, and yet guys on the defense who are making tens of millions of dollars aren't showing any of it. I mean, Janoris Jenkins, that was like – I'm not even a Giants fan, and I was it was like sick to my stomach watching him play on Sunday. That was it was gross. It was embarrassing. I mean, I've never seen an NFL player show less effort than what he did on Sunday, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, it's one thing to give up an 83-yard touchdown when you just get beat by a really fast receiver. I mean, that's not really an effort thing. I mean, that's just how it happens. But some of the, the plays where he would literally just not tackle guys, and it wasn't even like the Eli Apple play which we thought was the worst play I've ever seen against the Rams last week on that screen where he kind of hesitated and pulled up. Jenkins had no choice but to try and tackle the guys and still avoided tackling him. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And, and, and my kind of takeaway from that is this is a guy who's coming off a of suspension, showed no remorse when he came back, and the initial suspension was for not showing up. I mean, he literally didn't show up, and then he continues to not show up. Uh, didn't even give Ben McAdoo the courtesy of a phone call to explain his episode. I mean, that's all that led into that game on Sunday. There's no way that guy can start the game on, on Sunday as the Chiefs. It'd be, I don't know what message Ben McAdoo would, would be would be sending to the rest of his team if he says, you, know, you guys got to go out, you got to work hard, do the right things, play hard, but I'm going to keep Jenkins in the in the lineup after how he played last week. It was it was embarrassing. It was, it was disgraceful. Yeah, but guess what? I bet you there's like a 92% chance he does just because this team is just – they're just – they're rudderless. I mean, they just they, – nothing makes sense with this team anymore, and, and you're right. I mean, look – Eli Apple, the the play he had against the Rams was bad, but I he's a he's a physical football player. He's not a guy who's going to shy away from contact. Janoris Jenkins basically just said, "I don't want any part of this guy." And I the Selleck play is what gets a lot of attention. That twenty one yard run that Carlos Hyde had around the left side in the second half. I mean, that was that was like he didn't even, like he just like basically waved his hands at him. James, I'm actually watching that replay right now as we do this podcast in front of me. And it, it was like an Olay. Like, he just, yeah, like, waved his arm and let him go. No, it's just – you're absolutely right. I mean, like, Ben McAdoo on his conference call, like, this whole idea that, oh, it was an inconsistent desire to finish. <laughs> but don't say it's – I mean, like, like, say it. Just say it, Ben. It was bad effort. And you, I understand, you know, he kind of threw some shade at the anonymous – quote thing which feels like it was like a decade ago at this point and it was like days ago you know i'm not gonna throw anyone under the bus like well here's the deal ben this team has thrown you under the bus for nine weeks so you know what like just come out and say it we have eyes dan has said this before we have eyes janoris jenkinson on the field on sunday you know mike francesa was right 
on his rant. It was a disgrace to the giant uniform. And you're absolutely right. There's no way he should start on Sunday. But I, I bet you he will just because, you know, that's what they do. Yeah, and one thing I'll throw in is, I mean, this idea of quitting on McAdoo, I, I mean, listen, I think that's pretty clear that these guys certainly aren't giving their all. And, and I'm sure it's not just showing up on Sundays. I'm sure on Tuesday nights, maybe guys are going out instead of watching a lecture film or whatever it may be. I'm sure all that type of stuff is definitely creeping in. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're still a professional player. You have pride. You can hate your head coach. You can't You can't put that on film, as these guys always like to reference and, and McAdoo likes to reference. But you can't. You just can't do that as a professional athlete. I mean, like if I, if I didn't like my boss, I wouldn't write worse articles. I mean, I know it doesn't always – it's not apples to apples when you're talking about you know the professional athletes and, and a regular job. But just this idea that some fans have that you can excuse – that type of effort or these types of performances because they're like somehow tanking to get the coach fired. The coach is going to get fired on his own. You don't, you don't have to go above and beyond to worry about that. I mean, this team has gone off the rails. It's so bad that he's going to get fired. But to, to do this, it, it leads me to the, some of the stuff we've been talking about. You can't bring some of these guys back. You don't just wash your hands. Oh, there's a new coach in here. I mean, Janoris Jenkins, the funny thing is, if you go back to when he signed, we should have seen this coming. He said when he was on the Rams, and obviously they were bad year in, year out, he said, I basically checked out. I got lazy late in games. You know, he gave up big plays because he was trying to make picks. He didn't play kind of the right way. So you, we should have seen this coming. As soon as things started going bad, he went south. And let's go all the way back to when he left the field early, which everyone just dismissed. No big deal. It was all just these signs that some of these guys are front runners. And as soon as things, the first sign of trouble, they were jumping ship. And don't tell me that's all McAdoo's fault. Yes, if he was a better leader, if they respected him, maybe some of this stuff wouldn't happen. But these are grown men. They have to have some accountability. You don't show up for work and don't call your boss. I don't want to hear that it's because you don't respect your boss. I don't, you have to respect yourself. You respect your teammates. Because you're putting them in a bad spot. And, and, and that's the thing. This thing has just snowballed so much. And I do agree. He's probably going to start. And, and it's going to be this misguided belief in McAdoo's sense that, well, you got to – I got to win. I gotta get, you don't need to win. You need to show you have some control of this team and let Dante Dion go out there and get torched for 400 yards. It can't look any worse than Jenkins. At least he'll be trying. I mean, people are acting like, oh, well, Jenkins is a great player. I mean, what the, based on what? Based on Sunday? You can't put that guy back out there with that type of effort and say, well, he's a great player and he wasn't on Sunday. And I'd, I'd like to let him prove it. Go run down a couple of kickoffs and then we'll find out how much you want this. And if you're a great player, you guys are right. I mean, this is, it's a joke now. And when you add it all together, the giants here are in a spot that I mean, a large portion of their fan base has literally never seen. I mean, the last time the giants cleaned house, had a new coach and a new quarterback, and we're not putting this on Eli, but you just kind of look forward and new regime and everything could be different next year was the late seventies. I and mean, we're talking about, Everything's going to change. And the fact that the players, James, the way you guys just described, the way they played, Jenkins being the one that we're talking about, that's a reflection not only on the coach because he can only do so much, but on the guy, Jerry Reese, that put this football team together. I mean, he signed these guys. He drafted these guys. This mix stinks, and they quit. And the coach isn't good at what he does, clearly. They don't believe in him, clearly. They're not giving effort, clearly. And, James, I think you tweeted this last night. There's still seven games to go in this season. Like, this feels – three weeks ago we were saying, oh, it feels like December. You know, it's a bad year. It's it's a long year. What are they going to do? Are they going to make changes? This feels like week 16 with Black Monday coming next week. It's only week 11. Yeah, it's just – it's so bad. I mean, here's the thing. The Giants have not had a head coach get fired after after just two years since Ray Handley. I, I, you know, I, before the statement came out, you know, and we'll get to that. I, I looked back. They have not had a head coach fail to reach his 
two full seasons since 1930. I mean, the fact that that was on the table, you know, at, you know, as recently as 24 hours ago, is just stunning. And and I don't know what they're going to do. And honestly, the reaction we're seeing from fans on Twitter and in our inboxes, you know, people we, you know, fans who, who reach out to us, is that these fans they've had enough. They are fed up. And I really think that there's nothing this team can do. I mean, the whole idea that, oh, you know, when, even if they win a game, even if they somehow beat the Chiefs on Sunday, what does that mean? I don't think it means anything for this fan base. You know, there's four games left. I'm intrigued to see what happens on Sunday because I think people are not going to show up. And if there's empty seats, I think, I think fans truly feel the only way they can get their point across now after this statement comes out, and we'll get to why you know the Giants wouldn't kind of make a change, is that they're just—they're not going to show up. They're going to have bags on their head. They're going to sell their tickets to Eagles fans. I mean, it has gotten to the point. I think the worst situation a professional football franchise can be in is a situation where the fans are so disgusted with you that they are basically feel the only way to get what they want is to make this worse. I mean, this is not a tire fire. This is not a dumpster fire. This is like Chernobyl meltdown mode now. And you're right, Joe. Seven more games to go. And honestly, I don't see how they're going to win any of them. I don't either. Uh, And they play a lot of good teams, including the Chiefs coming up on Sunday. Andy Reid basically beats everybody off his bye, and now he gets a one-win Giants team. Dan, the Giants' leadership um, yesterday, we're doing this podcast um, midweek here on you know, after the loss to the Niners, but, you know, they put out a a press release and they put out a statement saying, look, we're going to evaluate this season when it's over. How do they do that though? How do they just truck along here and pretend everything's going to be okay when the the crowd and the the groans and the, and the the fan base is growing louder and louder. They have a lot of home games left this season. It's going to be embarrassing anyway, but if it's an angry crowd at, you know, at MetLife stadium down the stretch of the season, it's just going to be, uh, the Giants going to become the debacle of the league because I think people just ignore the Browns at this point. I think they'd probably at this point be happy with an angry crowd because I think it's going to be worse than that. I think it's going to be you know swaths of empty seat and and everything else is going to be filled in by you know fans of your your most hated rivals. Um, as far as the statement, I think we got to take that from the top. I mean, this was issued as a press release by the team, and I'll quote it. Uh, in response to media inquiries about the team's 1-8 and record, the team's performance of the past two weeks and losses to the Rams and 49ers, and regarding the status of head coach Ben McAdoo. I mean, this is uh, – I mean, I haven't been there that long. This feels unprecedented that you never see a team kind of – I mean, obviously it was reactionary to a lot of requests, but kind of proactively come out and send a formal uh, – you know, the, the quote-unquote vote of confidence, although I will say wasn't a heck of a lot of confidence in this vote of confidence. I mean, basically – my take on this is, just, I mean, honestly, a plea to like the media and the fans and everyone just to stop calling for his job. Like, listen, we're going to evaluate it on January 1st, but we can't wake up every day and see every back page and front page of the tablets, you know, with a, a different pun on McAdoo's last name and calling for his head. I really feel like because they, you know, they woke up Monday and, it, you know, all the back pages were, you know, on, on their A game. And, and I just think they look ahead. And say, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to deal with this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I think that they at least want to just appeal to that. Like, listen, he's not getting fired. So, you know, put away the knives. It's not going to work. But I almost feel like part of it was that just a public relations spin on that respect. Because then if you read this statement, I mean, extremely disappointing season, inexcusable and frustrating. Nobody's more upset than we are. I mean, these are comments that were said in a statement that su- supposedly supports the coach. I mean, it's, he's dead man walking. I mean, there's unless somehow they go seven and zero and show this amazing fight, which no one expects to see happen. 
I mean, this was basically his walking papers and just said, listen, we're not going to do it during the season. Uh, and to the question of why, I mean, listen, football seasons are so short. Like in baseball, you can get off to a bad start, fire the manager, and still have 100 games left to jumpstart it. Or same with basketball or hockey. In football, basically once they got to that 0-3, 0-4 point, we did all the stats. You can't make the playoffs no matter what. So really there's nothing to be gained by changing the head coach. The only circumstance is if it becomes just such a debacle and the locker room goes off the rails and the performance on the field completely is an embarrassment. I'd argue they're at that point. I mean, I mean, I don't know how we keep saying every week they're at rock bottom and yet they just keep digging deeper. But if they if they feel like, listen, as bad as things have gone, I mean, I know they had, a, you know, they leaked some to ESPN that, you know, grumblings happen, uh, you know, referring to the anonymous quotes when teams are losing. And that's true. If they really feel like this isn't out of control uh, in the locker room and they feel like, listen, the on the field stuff, we're willing to stomach, which, again, it's really hard for me to, to understand how they're, they're willing to do that after these past two weeks. There's not much to be gained. What are you going to you're going to put Steve Spagnuolo in there for seven weeks. They're not I mean, they're not playing for him on defense now. They're going to start playing for him as the head coach. Uh, so I think really the only benefit of firing, you know, McAdoo today or yesterday would have been just to appease the fan base. And, and listen, as much as, you know, I can understand that maybe ownership wants to do that just to get everyone to, you know, stop bombarding them with letters. And then every time they tweet something, everyone just kills McAdoo in the, in the mentions. But that's not a way to run your franchise. I mean, you have to kind of keep the big picture in mind. Again, there's not a heck of a lot to be gained other than just that satisfaction. So let them play out the seven games. You're obviously going to make the move on January 1st. I mean, I think any of us would be shocked if anything other than that happens, at least if it continues uh, like this. But, but even the idea that they would gain something as far as getting a jump start on the future, any coach or GM, and again, we haven't really talked about Jerry Reese, that they're going to they're gonna want to hire is employed right now, unless you're going to get someone out of a TV booth. They're employed right now. They're not going to come in and help the Giants right now, so you're not getting a jump start or anything. You can't hire a GM right now who's an assistant somewhere else and expect him to leave that job, come in, you know, bring in a scouting set. None of that stuff's going to happen during the season. So uh, practically speaking, there's not a heck of a lot of value to making the move right now, but I, I totally understand, uh, you know, the sentiment from fans that, that want it to happen. Jealous James, is there a point that where it becomes too much? It becomes, I, I don't want to call it public pressure because I agree with what Dan said. You can't just run your team be, because fans are upset or happy. Like you have to do things uh, in a way that makes more sense for the long term. McAdoo is going to be gone. Reese is probably going to be gone. They're probably not going to do anything till the season ends. But do you think, Anything can happen between now and the end of the season that hasn't happened already that forces John Mara's hand just to do something like, to, you know, kind of throw one to the wolves uh, just to show that they're, they have a pulse over there before the season ends. I've been saying this for a while now on Twitter. I, I think Thanksgiving and you guys might agree, disagree with me. I've always thought Thanksgiving could be I think it's very, very remote chances would happen. But here's the deal. It's a short week, so it's it's it goes to effort. I mean, it's tough to, for players to play on Thursday. Short week, we get that. So it's an effort thing. You're playing the Washington Redskins, who's your oldest rival, and you know if you read Giants history, I mean, Wellington Mayor always considered you know that to be the Giants' main rival. You know, the the two franchises have you know a contentious history together. It's it's Thanksgiving. Nation is watching prime time. It's an important day. If the Giants, you know, roll into Washington and get demolished and humiliated, I just wonder if if that could be a moment where just John Mara and, and Steve Tisch snap and they just say enough is enough. Because 
remember, since the game is on Thanksgiving, you've got a, a, an extended week leading into the game, the trip to Oakland. I, I think this next game. So if you made if you if you did if you made a change on Friday morning, you know your interim head coach is going to have a couple extra days to kind of you know the, the players are probably going to be off to kind of get in there, get get his feet under him you know, formulate a plan forward. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's like a 0.5% chance. But I just wonder if they completely embarrass themselves against the Redskins on Thanksgiving, could that be the the, the, the bridge too far? I think, look, if you're going to have an interim head coach in the NFL, one, you're, you're trying to, like, create a spark and save a season. We're past that point. Two, you know, you've got a guy who you want to give an extended run to. I mean, look, the idea that people call it, like – the defense has quit on Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, this defense is 31st or what? I mean, the, the idea that they're going to make him interim head coach and that's going to work is stupid. I think another time, another place, I'm sure the Giants would have thought that, you know, maybe Mike Sullivan was a guy who could have been a head coach for them someday. But, I mean, what's, what's it going to accomplish to, to give him seven games as an interim head coach? Because, look, you can't you can't do the half measures anymore you know this whole staff if McAdoo goes is going to have to go with him basically so you can't do that and I think you know the other way you do is you know it's like a Chip Kelly situation you're just tired of looking at the guy and it gets personal and I just don't think that while I think it's very personal for the fans against McAdoo I just don't see Sean Mara and Steve Tisch having it get to that have it be personal and that they just can't look at the guy anymore. I think they want to do right by him. I mean, look, I think Lawson thing is that Ben McAdoo is a good guy. I mean, he just is a guy who has done an incredibly poor job of coaching this team. And it, it's, just, it's an, expl- I mean, he's just way in over his head. I just don't think they're going to do that to him. I don't think they would get to that point where it's just so there's just so much tension that they feel they have to make a move in season. I think that's why they release a statement. I also don't think they're going to release a statement and go against it. So I still think there's a sliver of a chance that Thanksgiving could just be the could just be you know ground zero and everything could blow up. But that being said, I just think they don't check any of the boxes to have an interim coach. It, it wouldn't accomplish anything. Just ride it out and just endure the misery. And I know it's tough for fans to hear, but I think that's just what's going to happen. Dan, there's past precedent for this. The Giants have been a team that typically doesn't fire coaches during the season. How much of that do you think matters here? Or do you think just they're dealing with what they think is best for now and today and 2017 in today? Or do you think there is something to that we don't do this as the Giants? Yeah, no, I think there's definitely something to that. I mean, they certainly... Uh, you know, put a lot of emphasis on history and tradition and doing the things the right way. So I guess, I, again, I think I just look at it. If you're in their shoes, you know, that's what you have to kind of look at it from their perspective, not fans. They, they see the same stuff we say. I mean, John Mara, even when he spoke after the Broncos win, I mean, to his credit, he wasn't doing cartwheels. He was saying, well, it's one win. Let's, you know, kind of see where it goes from here. And, and obviously it's gone uh, about as bad as possible since then. But if you don't feel like there's any football advantage to be gained by making the change, and again, they're not going to make a run to the playoffs. So you just feel like, all right, we'll just, we'll play out the string with this guy. And I think they don't want to be looked at as a volatile franchise. And, and, you know, I think they take pride in the fact that they don't fire coaches, you know, haphazardly and they don't just, you know, yank a guy mid season. Um, you know, I think most outsiders would understand if you were to fire McAdoo now, but even to the next coach, you want to appeal to them with the whole stability factor, because that's another thing I, I'm you know, probably going to write at some point this week. 
this is still a very desirable job. I mean, I think it, it may be one of the more desirable jobs that really can open uh, outside of a coach maybe retiring because when you're talking about a coach getting fired, that next coach is usually walking into a, a roster, you know, devoid of talent. Um, you know, there's, there's something obviously usually missing. With this team, it was just such a perfect storm of a disaster this season. But I don't think it, it would take this super long rebuild to get back into contention. When you, when you factor in whatever you think of Eli, you have at least a competent quarterback. You'll have Odell and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram to build your offense around. I mean, you have defensive talent. Again, hopefully all these guys kind of get their heads straight. But, I mean, you could do a lot worse than coming in and inheriting a team with Olivier Vernon and JPP and Janoris Jenkins and Landon Collins and all these guys, you know, assuming they're all here and, and get with the program. And then you're also going to have a top three pick. So, I mean, it's a pretty good situation to walk into. So, I mean, this is not really related to your question, but I'm just looking at the big picture. I mean, I think ownership is very uh, cognizant of how the organization is perceived. Uh, so I think that, yeah, they don't want to be known as a – an organization that makes moves, you know, in a, in a rash manner or just, you know, kowtows to public pressure, which, again, I think that would be the wrong thing to do. I mean, we all, you know, fans had them fired after week two, probably. So, I mean, you have to stay the course a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's part of it. Definitely. They, they just they like this image, um, which they really haven't lived up to in terms of, you know, what they've done on the field recently. But they still have this image of you know, kind of doing things the right way and, and, you know, being a great place to work and taking care of their employees. So uh, I'm sure they don't want to just throw that out the window just because you know, of a bad season. You know, uh, James, I know you sort of write a little bit about the possible head coaching candidates more when than if this thing goes down with McAdoo. But off of what Dan just said there, as bad as it does look now, um, there's a lot of truth to that, I think. This reminds me a lot. I mean, this year might end worse, James, in terms of a record. But it reminds me a lot of 2003 when the Giants bottomed out of 4-12. and 12. Uh, They had a veteran quarterback in Kerry Collins, who probably at this point Eli is comparable to. Um, They ended up using a pick on Eli, which kind of changed the trajectory. But Tiki Barber was on that team. They had Imani Toomer. They had Jeremy Shockey. They had Michael Strahan. They had some talent on that team that the next coach could use. OCU Manure was already on that team. So, you know, the next coach, which happened to be Tom Coughlin, the cupboard wasn't totally bare. I, I think that's probably the selling point. Uh, when they go out and look for the next people to run this franchise. No, definitely. Look, Dan's right. It's going to be a very desirable job, but I think that, you know, there are some downsides to it. I mean, you know, one, I think we, we, we're pretty, we're, you know, 97% sure that the head coach, there's going to be a change there. I think the front office is something that, you know, that's going to factor in. I mean, I don't, I don't see how they can bring Jerry Reese back, but you know, they did it when they got rid of Tom Coughlin. I mean, I think, you know, look, I, my biggest thing when I look at this team, you know, and Ben McAdoo said this the other day, you know, they need to get back to their identity. They really do. I mean, that's that's the only knock I, I would see from this team is that the lines, I, I just think, have issues. We know about the offensive line. You know, you're going to have to do a major rebuild there. I look at the defensive line. You don't have much flexibility with those guys in their contracts. You don't have much depth. And I do think that, you know, the Eli thing is going to be a a touchy situation. I mean, I think any coach can kind of come in and say, all right, you know, if Eli is going to be here for one more year, that's fine. But, you know, if the Giants are thinking that they think Eli is going to play multiple more years, I think that actually could end up being a hindrance when you hire a new coach just because, you know, it's kind of tough to tell a guy that, okay, you can have the job, but you know, we're, we're planning on moving forward with our 37-year-old quarterback indefinitely. I think that would be a tough sell. and That's something that they're going to have to uh, 
come to terms with and assess going forward how they're going to portray that, what their plan is, just because if you draft a quarterback this year, it's ideal to not play him as a rookie. Let Eli play 2018. You know, maybe 2019 is on the table, but you know, going forward after that, I think it's going to be very tough to try to hire a coach and hire a GM and tell them that you, as ownership, plan on having Eli in the fold much longer than that. So now we look forward here, Dan, uh, the rest of the season. And we'll do a couple of things before we, before we end this episode. We'll start looking at some positives because I think we have to do that. Um, maybe little things, maybe players, young players that are showing a little something during these games because, look, every conversation we've had for the past month and a half has been on the negative. And that's the team's fault, not ours. But we'll start looking a little positive in a minute here. Just to kind of wrap our conversation now as far as the timeline and what they do. So we don't expect any change. They're probably going to just go status quo here. Do we? I know it's probably impossible to guess, but do you think any effort will get better that they've backed McAdoo here, that a guy like Janoris Jenkins or anyone else knows, look, whatever you do out there, you, if you don't play for yourself, you don't play for yourself, but the coach is not going anywhere for the rest of the season. Do you think that what the Giants tried to do with that statement will help the play on the field come Sunday against the Chiefs? Yeah, I guess it can't hurt <laughs> unless guys are that done with McAdoo. They just <laughs> totally check out. But again, that, like, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. There's seven games left. If it was week 16, week 17, you could probably say, well, guys are going to pack it in or all of a sudden, you know, come up with a little nagging ankle injury and, and sit out the last two weeks. There's so much time left. I would think that, I mean, I'm, I hesitate to say this. I shouldn't even say this. It feels like it can't get any worse than Sunday against the 49ers. But we've said that for like four weeks running now. So I probably shouldn't even bother. Uh, it's funny. We go back to Eli Manning after that Cowboys game when they lost 20 to three in the opener. He was asked, you know, can it get any worse than this? It's it's kind of comical to look back on that. And to Eli's credit, or maybe, you know, he wishes he wasn't so prophetic. He said it can always get worse. And, and boy, was he proven correct. Um, but yeah, you would think that the statement, that's probably the one thing it might do, because there are guys who I still believe have McAdoo's back in that locker room. And maybe this is the wake up call that they say, listen, because they know who's the the malcontent. They, and they also know who's obviously not bringing it 100% on the field. Someone needs to step up and not say it through the media and not say it because of how they play and leave people. Someone needs to pull that team together and say, listen, we got seven games left. A lot of us are going to be back next year. This is a chance to at least go out and play with some pride. Whatever happens to McAdoo, he's going to be here. So don't, don't like I said, I don't think people are packing it in to get rid of him. But if that's what you're doing, it's not working because he's going to be here for the rest of the year. You have to deal with the Saturday practices. Oh, those horrible Saturday practices. You got to deal with it. He's here. It's not changing. So let's go out and just play with some pride. We're getting that, you know, that check is still coming in this week. So, so maybe that works. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, he can't push the right buttons. He's shown that. I mean, he, he was soft on the guys. They took advantage of that. Now he's hard on it. And it seems like they're rebelling against that. So it's out of McAdoo's hands, but maybe ownership doing that will be the finally the thing that kind of is a wake-up call to these guys that, listen, whether you like the coach, you don't like the coach, you got to play. And, you know, because, again, their jobs are on the line too. And any maybe young players are too dumb or naive to realize that, <laughs> that yes, coaches are going to get fired. There's no guaranteed contract in this league. So if you're going to mail it in, you can follow them out the door. So I, w I would think that some of these players are going to smarten up and realize that whatever I think about my head coach – I got to put the time in, like I said, on Tuesday night or on Thursday night or, you know, whatever, whatever you were doing in July and August has to, you know, continue now. You got to be a professional about it. So I don't know, maybe, I mean, listen, uh, we're kind of grasping at straws like McAdoo is to try and find some positives. Uh, but, but I mean, effort should be the bare minimum, uh, you know, what you see in these next seven games. 
James, let's try to look at a couple positives here. We we haven't been able to do it in a long time because there's all the stories and all this stuff going on outside of the building and outside of what's ha- actually happening on the field. There has to be a couple good things, right? I mean, I, I mentioned that 2003 season with the Giants, and I remember that year for – well, one thing that stood out that year was a young defensive end named Osuyuminura started to show some flashes that he could play – Obviously, he had a tremendous career for the Giants, and they turned a corner in the next couple of years. I don't know if they have an OC on this team. They probably don't. But who's standing out to you in a positive way? Is there anything you're taking away outside this big picture stuff that you're kind of following away and saying, hmm, that's been interesting in a good sense? Definitely. I think Evan Ingram, obviously, I think has kind of been the brightest spot of this season. I think he has a chance to be a really special player. I think we're seeing Avery Moss, who's been getting some increased playing time with the injuries on the defensive line. Uh, He's flashed a little bit. I think that, you know, look, I think Eli Apple, this has been a rough year for him, but I think you see, you know, flashes of Eli Apple that he has the ability to kind of, I don't think, you know, the Giants should give up on him yet. I think he has the ability to be a solid player. Uh, You know, Brett Jones has played pretty well at center. I don't think Brett Jones is the long-term answer at center potentially, but I do think you're going to probably see a situation where where Richburg goes elsewhere in free agency and, you know, you you re-sign Jones is a restricted free agent. You draft the center, kind of move forward with that. Um, you know, Eric Flowers, I, I, we haven't t- – like, look, I, I think I think the Eric Flowers improvement narrative has been a little bit overblown. But, you know, to his credit, he hasn't given up sacks. You know, I, I think that you, you've seen enough there, in my opinion, that I don't think he's the left tackle. I don't think he should be the left tackle next year going forward. But I think you've seen enough that maybe that you might be able to salvage – I mean, it, it's a bad pick nonetheless – but I think there's maybe you're seeing signs if you move him to the right tackle or guard, you might be able to salvage him going forward. He's not going to be what the number nine overall pick in the NFL draft should have been, but he's going to be here next year. And I think there's a chance he might be, you know, a solid starter at a different position going forward. Uh, that's off the top of my head. I mean, Danny, anything stand out to you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's the same guys. You know, Apple, I might you know, quibble with a little bit. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm buying him totally as a positive. Uh, I think it's it's mostly on the offense. Uh, you know, I think the young guys. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I was checking Twitter. You didn't mention Dalvin Tomlinson, did you? No, I did not. Yeah, I think he's a guy who really deserves credit because he's come in and he kind of had some big, not big shoes to fill, but he had to fill in that Hankins role. They threw him in there from day one, and you know, he's just gone to work. Uh, no BS from him at all. I mean, obviously, he comes from Alabama, so uh, you know he comes from a pretty – disciplined program but I've been really impressed by him because again he just does the dirty work no complaints kid always has a smile on his face in the locker room always has an upbeat attitude just kind of the type of thing you want to see and, and it's funny when you, when Jerry Reese um, you know is going to be on the chopping block at the end of the year he's going to get killed if he does get killed by the drafts from like 2011 to 2015 he actually hasn't the early returns on on this year's draft and last year's draft isn't bad I mean th- you know this year I mean granted maybe the team being in the situation is um, you know, has contributed to some of these young guys playing. But if you just go down the line, I mean, Engram has probably been the brightest spot uh, this season. Tomlinson, very solid guy. Obviously, the, the jury's out on Davis Webb. Uh, Gallman looks like he can play. I think Avery Moss, you know, has flashed uh, when he's out there. You know, Bisnavati get cut, but I mean, it's a six-rounder. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to really hold that against Reese. Uh, too much, but again, I'm not trying to turn this into a, a defense or, or a condemnation of Jerry Reese. I'm just saying that uh, the draft picks this year are, are probably the, the biggest bright spot, and that you know it probably tends to be the case when you have some veterans kind of packing it in. It's nice to see young guys who are still hungry and out there flying around. So, so Tomlinson is a guy I would point out who doesn't get very much recognition a for his play, which I think has been solid. 
uh, and B, just for, you know, his overall kind of character and effort and all that stuff that, again, has been lacking from, from some of the supposed leaders on the team. I'll throw one more in, a guy that I've, I just enjoy watching, and I think a lot of Giants fans just want to see him continue to get carries. Orleans Dark was pretty good. I mean, he's got – what, he had 70 yards on Sunday. I know the game was a weird game, and it wasn't like these were crunch time numbers, but he had 70 yards on Sunday. Um, he's averaging over five yards a carry this season. And you go back to his career now, which if you add it all together, the limited time he's gotten – um, he's gotten about four and a half yards to carry for his career. James, the more you watch Darkwood, do you think he's part of this 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 mix in the future in the backfield? I think he is. I, I think that, look, we've been talking about Owen Starkwood since I started covering the team in 2015. It's kind of unfortunate that it took this sort of season and the injuries and to finally give the kid a chance. Uh, but I think he's proven that he is a – you know, he's one of 32 starting running backs in the NFL. And I think that obviously the Giants have some decisions to make because, you know, they have Gallman, they have Perkins, but at the same time, those are just fourth and fifth round picks. I mean, I know, I know Dark was an undrafted free agent that, you know, they got from elsewhere, but I don't feel like, I felt like at the start of the year, those draft picks were put on an unfairly high footing compared to Dark. And I think that he's kind of pulled even with them and ahead of them even. I think he's a guy who, look, you know, he's going to be a free agent. You know, he's going to be able to feel unrestricted free agent. He'll be able to field some offers from around the league. But I definitely think he has proven that he should have a spot with this team going forward. Now, look, they might find a, a, a better running back in a draft this year in a higher round. But at the very least, he should come into 2018, you know, assuming the Giants resign him as one of their two main backs. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. I mean, I guess Saquon Barkley could change things if, uh, if that's where the Giants go early in the draft. But uh, we got some time to get to that, and it seems like the Giants are going to have a very high pick. You guys have the Chiefs uh, to cover against the Giants on Sunday, and I guess we'll be on uh, high alert and watch to see if anyone changes their mind over at MetLife Stadium uh, if this thing continues to spiral out of control. Dan, as always, thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll catch up next week. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks, James. You got it, Joe. Thanks to all of you for listening to episode 110 of Talk is Cheap. We'll be back next week to explore, well, whatever the Giants did on Sunday and, and what it means for the franchise moving forward right here on NJ.com. <laughs>